Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Next Act. I'm your host, Keaton Hall, and today's podcast is unofficially brought to you by Labrums. You never know how much you need them until you tear one and can't do anything like my guest and I both found out the hard way. Jade Bullett is one of my closest friends since our first college class together and is also one of the most impressive people I have the privilege of knowing. We talk about her first act as a student athlete, what it felt like when that part of her life ended, and how she defines success in her next act as a business owner and district manager for Vector Marketing. Thanks for joining us on this inaugural episode. I hope you enjoy and learn as much as I did. Hello and welcome everyone to the first episode of the Next Act podcast. My name is Keaton Hall, your host, and I am here with one of my closest friends since our first year class of freshman year college, Jade Bullett. Jade, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's crazy that it's like, how long ago was that? Six years? It's coming Almost up. Seven years? Yeah, it's, it was what, 2015? August 22nd of 2015 and it's October of 2021 literally six years ago that's insane I was not ready to think about that literally very first (laughs) class 8 a.m on Monday it was crazy and I'm like this is awesome and then just kind of friendship took off from there absolutely called it the breakfast crew me you and Nathan get breakfast right in the cafe (laughs) I forgot yes I forgot about the breakfast crew Front row That's of Ryan so Hedstrom's awesome. class. We did always sit in the front row. Intro to we sport did. management. Shout out. It was awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Shout so, out to Hedstrom. Shout out to uh, Disney. Shout out. Oh, 100%. Shout out to the College of Business, Manchester University. All the good things. Oh, yeah. So, Jade is a former multi sport athlete who ran track and field at Manchester University, is a multi time. HCAC conference champion, including being a part of the Triple Crown winning team in 2015, is now killing the professional game as a district manager for Vector Marketing, and it is just an honor to be here and to have her be the first guest. So, since this is the first episode, I'll explain a little bit about the structure of how the conversation will flow. Uh, We'll start with the guest's first act that became a part of their everyday life and identity and what life was like during that time. Then we'll move into the period after their first act, what that new lifestyle was like and if it felt like a piece of their identity was missing and how they tried to navigate the uncertainty that came with the transition into their next act. Finally, we'll dive into the next act, what it is, how they got to that point and what success looks like for them now and in the future and how they use their first act to find their next act. So with this frame of reference, let's uh, jump right in into Jade's first act. So, obviously, you're one of the most uh, sporty people I know, and with the sports management degree from college, and just from being an athlete, and numerous games of pig, uh, the record of which between us will go undisclosed, but I won a lot. Uh, (laughs) But you you did beat me. You don't want to talk about it? You did beat me a couple times. I'll give you that. Is it twice? A couple times, not just one, but a, but a couple. It's more not than, a few, but a couple. So, two. two to prove it wasn't a fluke. Um, yeah. But with this in mind, um, will you just tell me a little bit about uh, what sports kind of meant to you and how you got into it? 
So I got into sports. Man, I can't even remember when I started. Softball was the first sport I ever played. I was softball and basketball were the two. And then um, in middle school, I actually uh, ran cross country and track. And instead of playing volleyball, I played volleyball in high school. And um, it was just fun. It was awesome. All my friends did it. You know how that goes, right? You just want to hang out with your friends all the time. Most of them are playing like Little League, Pee Wee, having a great time, having a blast. Um, yeah, so that was awesome. And then getting into high school, um, I dropped track. I dropped cross country. I really just did that because my friends were doing it and it was fun in middle school days. Why not? And um, played volleyball instead, basketball, obviously in the winter. And then I played softball up until my junior year of high school. And then I switched to track senior year and then ended up doing that all the way through college. And it was great. Sports meant a lot to me. I didn't really, my parents blessed me a lot with not having to get a job or do anything like that in, in high school. And um, it was really awesome. I was definitely, you might call it, you would call that privilege maybe, but um, in a really good way, I guess it was cool. And so I actually didn't, I don't even think I had my first job until I was 18 when I was a freshman in college and that was with Vector. And um, yeah, it was awesome. So my world pretty much revolved around sports, traveling places. You get the gist. You probably did the same with basketball, going everywhere all the time. Um, oh, yeah. And it was just awesome. It meant a lot to me. It was literally my world pretty much um, until I got to college and then just focusing on one sport. Um, that was really nice. So, yeah. Right. So, like I said, multi-sport just pure athlete just athleticism everywhere you go any season you want summer spring winter fall just every all the time doing one sport or another uh how did you end up running for manchester because you said you gave it up once you got to high school and then you picked it back up senior year what was that a whole process like yeah so For me, um, track was, from the start, very intentional for me. That was a very intentional road I ended up taking. Um, Growing up, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, I was a three-sport athlete playing volleyball, basketball, and softball. And um, as you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but since I was 15, my legs pretty much haven't always been like the most stable for me or giving me the best support, obviously very injury prone. Um, Having a couple knee surgeries my sophomore, junior year of high school, and then uh, senior year came along and and this is back in high school back in 2014 2015 wow sounds like a long time ago um (laughs) made it through our volleyball season right uh basketball season um and then i get to the spring and i'm thinking man I'm tired of contact sports, right? Because I've had, you know, two knee surgeries. I'm like, I'm done with it. I'm over. Like, I just don't think softball is going to happen for me. And so I told this to my mom and she says, either find something else or get a job. (laughs) And I'm like, and if you know my mom, uh, she's not messing around with anything, right? She's very straight faced, um, very straightforward, has a monotone, a demeanor. She's just a really intimidating person. She still intimidates me to this day. Um, And instantly I was like, I, right. I'm not getting a job. So um, I decided to join the track team um, my senior year of high school, uh, at least to stay in shape. You know, the spring break bod, like everybody's always going for that. Typical 18-year-old um, things. Like basically the reason why people run track in high school is to stay in shape and they can look good for the summer and spring break. So um, most people 
said though at first when I decided to run track senior year that it didn't make a lot of sense because it was just like Jade you don't want to do contact sports because it's hard on your legs well why do you want to just keep running like that's just constant pounding on your legs uh but me being an 18 year old at the time uh very I just thought you know I was invincible right nothing was going to happen to me so at this point the last time that I ran track was yeah, the last time I ran track five years before that um, was in eighth grade, okay? So I was bound to, like, have track be a hobby at that point. I had no intentions to, like, going forward. Um, and so that year I ran pretty well, and not long after the season ended, I landed my spot on the track team at Manchester to run mid-distance, run the 400, 800, things like that, and some relays. And um, it was crazy because I don't even think I registered to be a student at Manchester until, like, a week before high school graduation at the end of May. I think I had to pay a fee nice. because it was late. Um, that I just didn't know where I was going to go. Um, so that's how I ended up at Manchester. The coach at Manchester, who's still the coach there now, um, Brian Cashdollar, he actually ran track at my high school that I went to at DeKalb in, in Waterloo, just a super small a town, probably about, I went to school with like 1,200 kids or something like that, graduated with like 300. So it was a pretty decent sized school, but he went there and he actually held the uh, um, 200 record and some 400 times as well. And it was really cool. And so once he heard that, you know, I was pretty decent at mid-distance um, going there, it was just instant reach out and then ask me to come on a visit and then you know cash like he's pretty great so um didn't take long to decide that i wanted to go there and run and actually fun fact my grandparents got married on the uh, on campus at the chapel on the church i never knew that and so i'm like okay cool like yeah yeah, I was like, this is awesome. I called my grandma. I told her, she's like, you know, I got married on campus there because my grandparents went there. And I was just like, this is crazy. Um, so it just kind of seemed like it all made sense. And it was only like an hour from home. So it was it's nice true. to like go home and see my parents if I wanted to. So that's why I kind of chose to go there. Awesome. Yeah, it's always nice to have mm-hmm. uh, some deep roots that tie you back there, even if you didn't know it until now. Uh, but that's good. Yeah, that's, uh... it kind of like makes things come full circle, you know? Oh, for sure. And just having the opportunity to continue your athletic career into college after high school, and it's Mm -hmm. such a huge part of your life. Um, It's something that is just, even at a Division three level, it's still such a step up in terms of competition and commitment and lifestyle. So it's just definitely something that, uh, especially with the route that you ended up taking, kind of going all over the place and then ending up where it made sense is awesome uh so you touched on it go for it no i was just gonna say to hit on your point about d3 and i know you get this a lot too i feel like d3 is almost like one of the hardest places athletically to commit to in terms of the divisions and naia because as you know you get no school funding for like athletics and whatnot so um i feel like it's even more of a commitment because at that point it's like i'm not really getting anything out of this other than just being part of a team and like doing things and being with my friends and you know getting better as a person so i think it was just more of a grind from being from a d3 standpoint i'm sure you get that too with basketball um that's all i was gonna say about that oh yeah absolutely it's like you said there's no athletic scholarship no funding there to bring you there aside from academic scholarships so it's something that you have to absolutely commit to. Uh, I know, like you said, you know this, right. but every year we would start with the basketball team with at least 20, 23 guys. And then the stereotype between D3 and D2 and D1 is that all the guys that didn't make the D1, D2 go D3 because it's just not that good. But it's significantly right. more 
elevated in terms of competition that you wouldn't think about. And then once they actually realize how much of a step up and how much of a commitment to that lifestyle it is, then it's there's we ended we never ended the year with as many as we started with. Let's just say that. So, like you said, it's a grind. Never. I don't kind think of like, any team ever does at that level, though. No, no, it's it's because people just simply don't know until you get into it how much of a grind it is athletically in order to actually play because you're trying to beat out so many other people and you're there to get your education legitimately. So you have to be able to balance out that mm -hmm. uh, lifestyle of being a student and an athlete and having both elevated aspects of your life mm -hmm. for sure. Um, but that's that's uh, something that we mm -hmm. both experienced and I know a lot of other people that went division three and other levels can relate to as well. But so up to this point, in your first act, you've yeah. had a significant amount of kind of major injuries and surgeries that you've kind of touched on, both uh, in high school and in college. And we would be in the rehab room sometimes, the AT room, and whenever you were doing stuff, uh, which I know sucked, mm -hmm. <laughs> every time yeah. we were in there, you were never sulking or kind of uh, pitying yourself. You're always trying to make the other people in there feel better. So that's something that, uh, I really have admired, but one or one or two things and lessons from overcoming those physical and mental obstacles that you think helped you the most over the years? Um, the first thing that I think of when I'm like lessons is that when you go through injuries or you go through something traumatic or just any big sort of thing that you don't expect to happen or anything that's unexpected, right? Um, is that at the end of the day, we as humans control nothing, but mm -hmm. we can influence everything. So yeah. like that's that's kind of the takeaway I take from that is that um, I know you're religious, much like myself. Yep. And I'm sure that you would say as well that you control nothing that happens to you because God controls everything, right? Higher power, everything there. Um, but we can influence what happens to us by the things we do, things we say, um, financial standpoint, how much money you save, where you're putting it, um, deciding to wait a little bit longer to merge in traffic. Like it's a <laughs> Literally everywhere, you know, influencing like the decisions that could happen. Uh -huh. um, put it this way, literally. Uh, you're on the road. Um, you can't control, obviously, what anybody else is doing in their lane unless you literally like hop in their car and watch your car crash right. while you're trying to do that, right? It's literally like it, it's impossible. Uh -huh. So, um, and you can't control the person who's behind you, like riding um, your butt, I guess, as we would say. That's where I'd probably say something else. <laughs> but in the fast lane, like my road rage, I'd say something else. Um, and instead of, you know, having a big ego and, you know, holding that high pride or whatever, like I'm just going to speed up or I'm going to keep going or I'm just going to slow down just to make them mad, like you can influence it um, and make that go away by just simply getting over, getting rid of your ego. Like, have you ever thought people, I feel like people really don't think about this, like when it comes to traffic and I just drive a lot. So I notice this, but have you ever thought that maybe somebody is, um, super close to you or like trying to speed really fast. Like you're like, I'm already going like 85 miles an hour. Why are you trying to like pass me right now? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they're trying to get to the hospital for a dying family member. You know, maybe someone is late to their son or daughter's wedding. Maybe somebody's late to their daughter's dance recital, like their third yeah. grade one, whatever. You just never know. And that's my point in relation to like my injuries. Um, we never know really how to control the things that happen to us before they happen because we don't have that control or that power at all. We can only influence. So how does that really relate 
to my injuries going forward. Well, obviously, I didn't choose to tear both my ACLs in high school or, you know, tear uh, both labrums in my hips in college and then, you know, have another one this year post uh, college, have another surgery. Like I couldn't control any of those things whatsoever, but I can influence prevention um, going forward, not 100 percent, but even a little bit, you know, with strength and the ways that I'm working my body and what I'm eating and what I'm drinking and how I'm sleeping and all that. Um, My mindset on how I'm going to change and go forward. and et cetera. Like I could have just been like, wow, this really sucks. Um, and I did do that because that shit does suck. Like, it's not exciting at all, but, um, right, right. Naturally, like you're going to be emotional a little bit, but you can either sit in those emotions and just be like, wow, this sucks. And this is my situation or whatever. Or, um, you could just be like, okay, cool. There's nothing I could have done to prevent this hundred percent. I'm choosing not to be paralyzed by the situation that I'm in. Um, it's part of who I am. Uh, so I'm going to accept it as part of God's plan and keep moving forward and allow this to teach me, um, some things. And that was very similar. That's something honestly that I learned really heavy um, back in the summer of 2015 when I lost my brother to cancer before my freshman year of college. Like I couldn't control any of that and nobody can in those situations, but I could influence the way I was handling um, that and by the hand that I was dealt and how I responded to it. Um, So that's the first lesson that I really think of when I think about my injuries and stuff. And the second one, it's super simple. It's not um, anything too in depth is um, how to watch the garden grow, really, uh, meaning playing the long game. Mm-hmm. So like growing up, my family actually owned and still owns like a three to five acre garden. Like it's massive. It's huge. And my parents would send me there like when they were mad at me or if I was getting in trouble or something, they'd send me there to like do work <laughs> on the garden. And um, some of the things, yeah, it's crazy. Some of the things um, would take like multiple months and sometimes like almost years to grow into what they needed to. And over my entire life, I've spent since I've gotten hurt I've literally spent um, a total of almost three years like if you were to combine all of my rehabbing together it comes out to like a total of three years it's crazy and um, it's a process and it takes time to heal a lot of those injuries that I had six months minimum for literally each if not longer so how I view this now going into life and how I'm reacting to certain situations that happen to me or like running a business. Like it's almost impossible to think short term when you get to this stage in your life. And I'm sure you agree with that. Um, And I'm always thinking at least, yeah, I'm always thinking, you know, three to five years in advance, at least like I'm planning that I'm making my dreams list for that, like years down the road. And it's like same thing in everyday life. Like when shit hits the fan, I'm typically never like triggered instantly to react. Like I'm not, I take time, I decompress, evaluate if this is urgent or important or what the value or um, of that is to me and um, act once more things, you know, become logical to me. Um, And I've never really put it this way, I've never regretted um, waiting to hit the send button, like on anything, like reacting emotionally. Like I'm a big person and just like waiting it out. Is it going to bother me in a week? Is it going to bother me in a couple weeks? Like, is it, it, does it weigh like that much to me? Um, And then that's probably the second lesson I would say that I've learned a lot in uh, getting hurt in those things, spending some time rehabbing and whatnot. Absolutely. You're only in your young to mid 20s but you got a lot of wisdom there for a lot of people from a lot of experience that you've got i love that i like the uh the way that you kind of framed both of those uh you could call them shifts in perspective uh because a lot of times like you said things happen and it's out of our control and the only difference between 
the rest of people's days if they say my day is ruined or they take it in stride is just the way that they think about things uh, in terms of other people and also in terms of the short term versus mm-hmm. the long term. So I think that's something that is very valuable right. and can be applied to a lot of things. And obviously has if you learn that from uh, your injuries and then continue to right. use that going forward and look to use that in the future as well. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So thanks. I appreciate yeah, that. Absolutely. Awesome. So continuing to talk about you, you happen to be one of the uh, biggest and most knowledgeable sports people I know. You also happen to have experience on the women's side of being a college athlete. So kind of with that in mind, how has it felt to see the recent rise in both popularity and respect for women's sports, one, and then college athletes, secondly, in terms of the NIL stuff that has recently come out? Man, I think uh, women in sports right now, I feel like is dominating, like way more, not dominating to the level that it should be yet, but it's like getting there. Like, I think the one thing that really uprooted that, and I'm sure your sister Cora would agree with me because she does a, a lot of those things in journaling and follows a lot of women's things and whatnot is, um, you know, the uh, WNBA, like that was huge. Like, I don't know about you, but those, those games were so exciting and it yeah. was crazy. And I just think it's so awesome now to where now the one thing that we missed, I think, you know, in the beginning is Um, the support from the male athletes, right? Like we definitely had it. We knew it was there, like subconsciously we did, but now they're being vocal about it, right? Now they're out there doing like Kyrie, for example, donating a million dollars to the WNBA, right? And towards their pay and whatnot and making sure that goes well. You know, women's soccer team, making sure they get equal pay as well. Um, I just think that now with the world, no one's afraid to say anything anymore. And I think that's awesome because the only way to bring awareness to these things is to be able to talk about them, right? And talk about your experiences and whatnot. And I think it's um, obviously gotten a really ugly for you know a lot of programs and organizations and and things like that but um the sad thing is is that it had to get ugly in order for it to get better you know we actually had to show people's like true selves and their faces and how organizations are being worked out and making it right and i think now um on a level of where females are at um it's only going up. Like there's no way you can hide from it anymore. You can't just push it under the rug anymore. Like so many people are talking and it's not just the females who are talking and standing up for themselves. Like it's everybody. And, um, it's really cool to see that influence. And especially, you know, on a work standpoint, um, in vector, like we're really balanced out. Like we're about 50, 50 on male managers and female managers, which is really cool. Cause that's literally like foreign language any other business structure you come to. Mm -hmm. Um, So to tailor back into sports and NIL and all of that, like that's long overdue. Like I would have been like, I would have tried to get a sponsorship from McDonald's to pay for my (laughs) Big Macs every freaking week. Like that would have been so awesome. Um, It would have been great, okay? Um, That's probably the only sponsorship I would have went after that and maybe like DoorDash, but I don't even know if DoorDash was a thing back in the day when we were in college, but. um, Well, if it was, it definitely wasn't in North Manchester, Indiana. It's so hard for me to believe (laughs) <laughs> right, right. There's no chance. You probably have to pay like an extra like $30 delivery for you to drive it out in the middle of nowhere, right? Might be able to door dash right. like Casey's or something, um, some breakfast pizza, but it, it's all good. Um, and with the NIL, like, 
I just feel it's obviously very long overdue. It's been in the process for a really long time. And I just found an issue, and as everybody else did, you know, of colleges being able to make money off of players and the players get nothing out of it. And yeah, you could say they get scholarships and they have full tuition and all of this stuff, but it's like they got to pay to eat, they got to pay for groceries, they got to pay for all that stuff. And it's like, other people can't buy those for them, and the school's definitely not providing that. So I think it's really awesome to see that they're finally getting what they deserve because they don't they don't have time to get jobs. They don't. And there's so many legal things that go through with having to get a job, especially when you're a high-caliber D1, D2 athlete, um, especially going pro. Right. There's so much that goes into it. It's almost impossible for you to even get a job legally. Um, and so – it's cool to be able to see people support themselves and not just themselves, but like give back to their communities, right? Giving back to their families. Um, Cause some families, most families, you know, don't really come from anything and being able to give back to your family right away. Cause maybe you have younger sisters or brothers, you know, um, and you're able to provide for them and give them the best, you know, opportunity to exposure of their athletic abilities too. So I think it's really cool to see that being taken advantage of, um, especially for, you know, the better of their families and, and who they are and being able to put themselves on a platform because how I don't even know what the stat is that you might know what how the percentage of college athletes that even make it pro um so it's like what are they oh. going to do when they're done you know right. so like what are, what like they didn't have time to save money throughout college or do any of that stuff and they spend most of their time revolved around sports like how often are they really spending like in the classroom like obviously there are people who are but there's people who really aren't paying attention because they're just there to play a sport and get a direct pipeline to the pros and for a lot of them that's not going to happen so like what do they have to fall back on and so i think it's really cool to see them you know get what they deserve and i wish we had that because i would definitely like some free nuggets like all the time but it's okay oh my gosh you would have been the poster child for mcdonald's in north manchester and it's not close you would have had that sponsorship sure. on lock but <laughs> to your point the amount of athletes yep. that go pro in their sports i mean there's that ncaa commercial that you see around uh march madness time and championship seasons for these different sports and just to reemphasize the importance of your career after sports uh kind of tying back into the whole theme of this podcast but yeah like you said a lot of good points there a lot of things that uh are going to be changing and the landscape has been changing the past couple of years with all of these like you said, new voices and people speaking up. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where it goes and continues to grow in different areas. But a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff here from the perspective of okay. a college athlete who wasn't a part of the the changes. We were in it right before it all happened. So you know, we're kind of late to the party, unfortunately. So after your first act, great first act. Love that part of the conversation. Uh, in the days, weeks, and months, kind of after your final meet, what kind of emotions and thoughts were kind of going through your head in terms of the finality of knowing you didn't have a next season? So, ah, oh, going into that last meet, man, it was like, uh, I remember exactly where it was. We were at Defiance College, um, indoor meet, and uh, it was, I believe it was on a Saturday, and I think that day I was running the 400, I was running the 4x2, the 4x4, 
Um, and I think that might be, I think that's all the events I ran that day. And that was on the lesser load. There were way, there were way more of my teammates that were doing way more of a heavy load than that, you know, running like 3k, like 5k, like all of that stuff and 800. I'm like, you guys are crazy. (laughs) Um, and I knew, so after, uh, that meet, like four four days later, um, I was scheduled to get my second hip surgery. And so I'm like, wow. Like, this is it. Like, I didn't even make it to outdoor because of, you know, my injury and whatnot. I'm like, I can't do it anymore. And I was like, man, this is, like, really sad, you know? But at the same time, it's like I wasn't burnt out from anything in terms of track because I hadn't done it for very long. Right. Like, I was I was honestly, like, really sad. I think that's the sadly, like, I've ever felt about um, a sport before because I just felt like I could do it longer than I was doing it. You know, if I would have had another year, that would have been awesome. Like, I would have done it. And the fact that I wouldn't or I wasn't able to take advantage of outdoor and like that was it for me. I was like, man, like time goes by so fast. One and two, like people tell you that all the time is super cliche, but it's so true. And then, you know, two, it's like, man, I was just sitting there reflecting. I'm like, did I really like give all that I could in every single meet, like the last like three and a half years? And I was just going back and forth and I was just doing, you know, I was a little bit of nostalgia in my brain and I was really sad, you know, that Deja uh, Beck, you know, one of my really close teammates, she's about to have a baby. She's married, really excited about that. and it's crazy to see her evolve and whatnot. But I was like really sad. I'm like, cause that was how we met. That's how we became friends. Like there was just so much weight there. I'm sure you get that with, you know, um, Derek and, and some of the other people that you were on the basketball team with and grew up with. But it was, it was really sad for me. Um, and, you know, after that day, I was like, wow, I just finally closed a chapter where I learned a lot and I grew a lot. And it's a chapter I never thought I would have, you know, taken on ever. It's not what I saw myself doing in college or, you know, maybe even doing a sport in college. So I was pretty accomplished. I was like, I feel pretty good about myself and how I got here and, and where I went with it. And um, that's pretty, that's probably how I would say I felt about everything. Yeah, no, definitely a very relatable experience. Uh, the thought you touched on of, it makes you think about, did you really give it kind of your all in terms of the time that you did have as an athlete? And it sounds like you, you could answer that question well and be at peace with it. Cause I know a lot of people that if they weren't able to answer that question of, yes, I did give it my all that that's something that haunts people for a long time without a doubt. Um, so what was one of the biggest adjustments that you had to make after you knew that your first act was over and then you were going to transition into something else? Yeah. Um, it was, it was very difficult obviously, but there's so much that I learned in track that I implemented in my later life. Like I'm very grateful that I even got the chance to um, run collegiately or even have the body to be able to run even after all that I went through. Like it's really crazy just what the human body is capable of to begin with. And so um, as you know, like track is a very dog eat dog world, right? Basically human strength against human strength. Like there's literally nothing else and pushing yourself to be the utmost potential to beat somebody else's potential, right? So like listening to your body halfway through a race, seeing how far you can push yourself, picking people off in front of you one by one, mentally like running your strategic race at the same time, but still having blinders on. So you still run your own race, like seeing how much it takes to hit all of those goals. And it's crazy, you know, because like in a race, everyone's running, right? The gun goes off, everyone's running their own independent game and their plan and their strategy um, that they're going at to beat other people. 
while at the same time, like mentally, like running your own race at the um, everything, you know, all the crowd going on and, and the gun and like your coaches are like yelling at you and you're like worried about where people are, but you like can't look. And at the end of the day, though, everyone's running the race to win. Why? Because there's only one first place and one spot. Everyone wants it. And being in the 400, there was so much pressure that goes into it. And I would always run the four by four, which, as you know, is at the end of every meet. And I don't know if you've ever witnessed that atmosphere before, but it's literally the curtain call that most people wait for because everyone is done with their events. So all eyes are literally on you and the four people uh, teams that there are. And there's so much strategy. I didn't learn this until I got to college <laughs> with Cash Dollar, but there's so much strategy that goes into a 400, okay? And uh, I learned so quickly that it's not just about sprinting one lap around a track. Like, that's not it. There's so much yep. that goes into it. And um, what I learned running so many of those relays to circle back on what you were asking and I'm able to implement in current life is that pressure truly is a privilege. Like I was so lucky and blessed to be able to experience pressure. Why? Uh, because that meant that I was trusted to go out and get the job done in the best way for the team. And I know people view track as a very individual sport, but if you're, if you go to Manchester, literally the women's track team is like the epitome of athletics at Manchester, right? So it's like, the team, like we were always competing for the championships and stuff. And we won some and all of that. So not only were you worrying about performing for yourself and performing for the other three people in your relay, but literally like sometimes the team points came down and the championship came down to that last right. event. Okay. And so, um, and, and most people like, for example, if you were playing a basketball game, last game, HCAC championship, I don't know if you ever made it there in, in your career, but you're telling me you're losing by two points in a basketball game and you don't you don't want to be the person that takes that last three. Like, no way. Like, you want that feeling, Absolutely. right? Like, having that pressure, like, is an awesome feeling that you have. Right. And so, listen, most people are going to bitch and complain about having to run one lap around a track. Everybody hates running the 400. And I'll be the first to tell you it's not rainbows and butterflies. Um, but it's one of very few team events. So, like I said, not only is it just you, it's the team as well. And um, it was just cool because I really learned how to be intentional about doing what I could to get to the finish line the best I could, even if I had ran like four other races the same day, more 400s or an 800. And trust me, like I said earlier, like I was one of the ones that had the lesser workloads of some of my teammates. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I was going to say that I learned in track real quick before I toss it back over to you is that, um, and like I said, this is something that gives me a really big advantage running a business and even in life now is that instant progress, high performing progress is not going to happen right away. Like it's not yep. like it's not when you snap your fingers, it's not just going to happen. You work out for one day. It's not just going to happen. Like it takes time. It takes months. Sometimes it takes years to perform at your body's like highest potential right so much like other sports not just in track and it taught me a ton and this is great this is the one thing that i love that it taught me a lot especially being in sales right now is that don't be a results driven person but a growth driven mm. person right so we have a yep. common theme where i work now where we don't make goals to hit those goals like hitting the goal all of that stuff that's really exciting it's fun whatever but we make goals to be become the type of person it takes to hit those goals, okay? It's about the progress, the journey, the hardship day in and day out, the breakthroughs. Like, did I want to win every race I ran? Yes. Did I? No. But on some of the races that I didn't win, did I still record like my personal best, the fastest race I've ever ran? Yes. And some of those races that I lost, did I experience a lot of learning lessons? Yes. Like there was really no option for me 
to lose, no matter what, you know, the placings came out to be. Like I was either going to win or I was going to learn. So in the end, um, to kind of frame your question you were asking, I was learning how to be more of a cheerleader for myself rather than a drill sergeant. You know, I think in track or in the business or just in life, um, we set a ton of goals, right? Everyone does, which is awesome. Like we're going to do whatever it takes um, to put effort into hitting those goals. I know you specifically, you know, being really competitive and um, being motivated to be the best that you can be. But sometimes that makes us be overly hard on ourselves. And I noticed that a lot in track. Like I was just focused. I'm like, man, like I didn't get, I didn't even get top three in some events. And I'm like, I didn't win. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't get second, but none of that matters. Cause if I still ran a great race and I feel really good about how I did, like, why am I going to let a number and a place like define me of like how I did? So, um, it allowed me to like give myself more grace as we go through like that goal achieving process, I guess, as you would say. Yeah, that's awesome. The, uh, the results not being your driving factor and the growth being more of what you focus on is such a great way to go about things because the growth aspect is where you get into the daily actions and how you actually go and achieve those results. So that's something that is very practical and can be applied, obviously, both while you were in athletics and then now, as you said, in the life afterward. That's awesome. Okay. So... Kind of going off of that again, um, did you try and replace track and field and athletics in your life kind of right away or was it something that it wasn't as big or urgent? Yeah, I'm someone who's big on closure. Like if I feel like I'm getting, if I have closure on something, like I'm not the person, um, it, it's great to like go through your emotions and process them and like sit in like your own emotions and all of that, but it's not okay to like stay there. So I find a really hard, uh, it's a really hard place for me if I feel like I'm being complacent or I feel like I'm not doing anything or I feel like things aren't changing or I'm not feeling better. Um, I just hate like all of that, like really I'm not a fan of it. So once I knew that track was going to be done, like I knew I was having hip surgery that next week. Like I knew I was going to run outdoor. Like I knew I was going to graduate, you know, in a few months. And I knew that I was going to, you know, open my office with Vector and everything. And so I knew that I was like closing that chapter and I was okay with that because I took the time to like really process that. So obviously, you know, having surgery, I wasn't able to, um, kind of fill that right away, like athletically, like, but once I went through rehab and everything, it was great, you know, still being able to go on runs and, um, you know, go on hikes and do all of that stuff and play some, you know, intramural sports in, in Fort Wayne, like volleyball and, and whatnot. So that was awesome. But I think how I filled the track and field void was I'm like, okay, cool. As soon as I'm done with track, I'm like all in, in like my post-grad life. Like I'm all in, in the professional life. I took my finals like a month early. Um, so I can move down to Indy a month before graduation, a month before finals were even here. So I could mm -hmm. just move down there and get started right away. As soon as I was able to drive and all of that stuff. And, um, I was just super eager to get on with the next part of my life because I knew what I was doing once I graduated. And a lot of people like don't get there at that point right. yet. So um, since I knew what I was gonna be doing, it was really easy for me to go ahead and move on to the next step, like close that door, another one opens. Cause the only thing that was holding me back between, um, you know, moving to Indy and doing my personal life was track. And that was pretty much it. Like I was pretty much done with all my classes. My classes weren't difficult. I was taking mostly electives at that point, um, typical senior year things. And yeah, it, it was really, it wasn't difficult, that transition. Um, and then filling that void, I was just full preparation mode to open in my office and starting the biz and, and all of that stuff and rehabbing and whatnot. 
Yeah, absolutely. That type of clarity that you have right after you graduate and going into your next act is absolutely huge. So that's awesome that you're able to find that and then kind of go right into it. Uh, so that's a great transition into your next act. Uh, what led you to Vector Marketing and what made you kind of want to stay with them to this point? Yeah, unless you're in uh, Vector and uh, working with Cutco, same thing. Um, it seems very untraditional. So one, we advertise and recruit in a lot of different ways. So we're a recruiting company, we're a sales company, we're a training company, we're a leadership company, so many different things and avenues that we do here. And um, so how I heard about the job, I got a letter in the mail. That's one way we send you know letters out and stuff like that. I'm sure you've probably gotten them before and you just threw them away. I did it probably five times before I took my letter and I, <laughs> and I went in. And um, so I, I went in for my interview, I drove to Fort Wayne like 30 minutes. And I go in there, I sit down, I'm like, I don't even know what this is for. Like, I have no idea, like, what I'm even interviewing for, like, what this job is, anything. So I go in, I meet with this guy, his name's Logan Franke. This is back in 2015, my freshman year, Christmas uh, break of college. I had probably, like, 15 days off before I'd go back to school um, for, you know, tracking classes. And I was like, all right, cool. I sit in there. Logan interviews me, accepts me for the job, and I'm like, I really still don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> I knew it was with Cutco, and I knew Cutco were knives. And I go home, and I'm like, Mom, I'm selling knives. And she's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yes, I am. And so we got this massive fight about everything. And I'm like, am I not allowed to do this job? Like, I have no idea. And uh, she's like, well, what, are, like, what knives are you selling? And I'm like, Cutco. She's like, no way. And I was like, yeah, what's up? She's like, Jade, we've had Cutco for like five years and you've been using it for that long. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I never even knew that we had Cutco this whole time. She's like, yeah, you can totally do that. Like I've, I've been through the presentation, like done all that stuff. And I'm just like, I just got into this fight. Like what just happened? Uh, but if my mom's gonna let me do it, she's one of the hardest people to get permission from. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm gonna do it. Um, and come to find out Logan, the guy who interviewed me, actually uh, sold my mom Cutco literally like five years before he hired me for the job. And so I was like, okay, cool. This guy's been in my house. He sold my mom knives. He knows my mom. I've <laughs> never met you before until like 30 minutes ago. And so uh, since then, you know, I sold a, a few grands my first 15 days on the job and I went back to school and made like, you know, a few hundred bucks. And I went back to school, I was feeling pretty good. And um, that next summer I got a call from Logan and he was like, hey, I want you to be an assistant manager with us in our Fort Wayne office this summer. Um, you know, I'd like for you to go through the interview process for that and see how it goes. And so I did, and I got promoted to do that. And so um, during that time though, if you're familiar with the sport management world with the old system that we had, you had to have an internship related um, to sport management. It had to be something right. with sport. It couldn't just be business or else I would have used Vector and Cutco. So yep. I had to leave uh, Vector and Cutco at that time in, in 2016 um, to pursue um, a athletic uh, internship that I could complete for Dr. Kong and Headstrom. And right. I um, didn't talk to Logan literally for like a year. Like I'm like, all right, cool. Like I'm sad I gotta leave Cutco, but you know, I'm gonna leave and, and whatever and do what I need to for school. And I um, was sitting in, I remember exactly I was sitting in someone's room in Schwamm in their dorm room on Manchester at campus in 2017. Um, I was home from spring break 
and I get a call from Logan. And I'm like, I haven't talked to this guy in like a year. Like, what is going on? He calls me. He's like, hey, like you did really awesome last summer. And um, I want to make sure I follow up with you again. And I want you to come back and, and be an assistant manager again. I want you to be my sales manager and, and recruiting manager. I was like, I literally have not talked to this man in a year and he wants me to come back after I just left him. So that's why I knew I'm like, okay, God is speaking to me right now. Like I'm going to take this and I'm going to do it because it was so random. Like, like I said, I had not right. talked to him since I left the office for that last day the year before. And, and ever since then, um, it's just kind of taken off. And, uh, I decided, you know, I had probably about six or seven job offers out of college because of my resume experience with Cutco. And, you know, I explored those and I was like, man, there's just, I weighed the pros and cons. I'm like, man, there's really no other place I'd rather be where I really enjoy the people and what I'm doing. And so decided to stay. And, um, that's kind of how I got started after college in 2019. Definitely not the most conventional way to get into your post-grad career, but you know, it works and you found success in it so far. So kind of going off of that into your role as a manager, what's something that you used or were able to develop in your first act as an athlete that has served you well as you kind of lead and recruit all these new people in your role? Yeah, so obviously, Cutco was very unconventional for me. The way how I got started, track was very unconventional with me um, with how I got started. And so one of the things I've really been able to realize and reflect on, you know, after being with Cutco for almost six years now, you know, running an office for almost three years now, um, one of my biggest mantras now and just my life alone that I've experienced from both of those that tie into each other is to really bloom where you're planted and do everything possible to be at your best every single day and not worry about how other people are gonna view you or what you're doing. Um, there were so many times in college where they'd be like, what are you doing for work and all this stuff or over the summer, your internships, I'm like, I'm working with Cutco and Vector. And they're like, okay, that's the knife thing. Like, that's the knife job. Like, isn't that kind of weird? And I would look at them and I'd be like, yeah, it might sound weird to you, but I love what I do. Like, I just don't care, you know? And so I used to be kind of insecure about it at first when people would ask me about it when I was like 18, 19. But now I'm just like, I, I really don't care about anything. I'd say I love what I do and I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and I always tell my people, if you're doing things to impress my eyes, like you're doing it wrong. And this is one of the things I really realized, especially um, in track and in the biz that tie together. Like the person that sees you in the morning is you. The person who sees you at night before you go to bed is still going to be you, right? So do it to impress that person, not me, because the, at the end of the day, the only person that can fill you up is going to be you. And I'm just here to influence um, my people and everybody around me, even outside of Cutco, uh, to do so however they need me to. Because at the end of the day, like if you want to surround yourself with the best people, you have to be your best because people don't want to be around other people who aren't serving them in the highest ways. Like bottom line, they don't. And that's one of the reasons that we're really great friends is because we're always like pushing like different intellectual thinking all the time and different perspectives and having those conversations, you know? And so um, going off of what I was saying, you know, the person that you spend the most time with is going to be you. So you have to be the best version of yourself to attack other great leaders um, so they can surround themselves with the best. And then that turn, it would be you. So don't cut them short, but overall, like don't cut yourself short um, either because I always tell my people this as well, like, and on the track team, like I didn't want to be the best 
like in my office, like on the track team, like I did it. Like I always want my people and my development and other people on my team to be better than me, but they're going to be better than me because I'm pushing them to do so. Like I want them to be the best at what they're doing. But first, before they can even do that, and this is what people miss a lot, is that they have to be the best version of themselves. Like they have to be best of just being them and like knowing who they are. And then ultimately they can be the best at what they do and what they're doing. And then what happens after that? Like the best just get better. Like you, you do nothing. Like all you do is just one more thing every time and you're always getting better at what you're doing. And um, I've been really blessed to be with Cutco. A lot of people are like, what is Cutco? It's a high line of kitchen cutlery, okay? It's pretty cool. Um, and it's 10% about the knives, like 90% about like, you know, the recruiting and everything. And, um, and so some of the other things I've really realized too is that monetary things, materialistic things, like they don't matter. Like the money doesn't matter either. Like I'm really blessed and in set, like where I'm at, like that's awesome. Um, and you know, like the car and, and everything, but I'm not one to really talk about one, my car two, like the paychecks, uh, the incredible travel experiences that I do. I'm probably one of the least involved people on social media posting about my life every day. Like I, I'm really not like I intentionally have Absolutely. to post all the time uh, to make sure yeah. I'm up with like the social quota of the people that I'm recruiting. Um, and the reason why is because nothing's ever going to satisfy me more than me. Like nothing or no one you can have um, is going to bring you the spiritual joy of like who you are. Like most times in this day and age and this generation that I wish people would really like focus on is that um, most times you see people posting those things because they're content and complacent with the level that they have reached and they don't even know it. But in my perspective, like my level, and this is true for me in track too, is that I wanted to be the best me that I could. And I know I'm only 24, so I'm not even there yet. Probably not even close. No one is perfect. Everybody's human though. So like just focusing on that, especially on the track as well and keeping my head down literally and, and metaphorically, like staying in my own lane um, and not being loud about who I am and like what my life is that I'm aiming to live. Um, you know, just keeping silent as, you know, Lil Wayne would say like real G's move in silence like lasagna, <laughs> right? So it, it's just like kind of taking that uh, perspective there. But I love who I am and I'm happy with what I'm doing. And, you know, I could be driving a beater car right now, making five figures a year. And I would be so satisfied because I love who I am and I'm really happy about who I am. And um, just living to be my best every day, that was something I really strove for on the track as well as doing my best all the time. And that's something in the business I'm able to relate to as well. Um, it's just showing up to be my best for my people and myself every day that I can. So that's why I would say, kind of compare the two together that kind of tie in. No, that's a that's a really good point that you make about not knowing you're necessarily complacent at the level you're at because like you said we're both young. There's so much that we do know, but at the same time there's even more that we don't know. And I know I'm sure you can attest to this as well, but I found that the more we're challenged the more that we have something to go after that we're not yet good enough to get to like you said earlier it's not so much about the result but who you have to become in order to achieve that result the more fulfilled we are as we pursue that goal and that specific outcome and like you said there's so many parallels between your first act of sports and then where you're at right now but being able to define what that next level of achievement and fulfillment is after when it's not necessarily a defined benchmark like it is in track is so huge in terms of continuing to be able to develop yourself 
and continue to become your best self so you can make others better as well that's a really good point yeah so i i agree with you i agree with you a lot there too and you know you're just scratching the surface of like where you're even starting you know you like you've gotten started for sure like you know having to take all your exams and all of that stuff and, and get ready and certified and now you are congrats that's really exciting i love that and Thank you. um that, yeah you're welcome and like once you you get to where you're at and kind of like where you start to build like the accolades and all of that stuff to me that, you know, really doesn't matter. Like there's going to be a time for all the celebration for things that I've earned and I've accomplished. And the same thing for you too. Like you're going to accomplish a lot. Um, but personally for me, like, it's not about the what it's about the why and the how of what those things represent. And, you know, which is God and myself and my family and my team and my inner circle of my great friends. And that's, what's really important to me. And that should be the same for everyone else because as you know like there's literally billionaires who at the ceiling god created for them because they get sucked into the luxurious like materialistic and monetary incentives of what they're doing and they get content and complacent like we were talking about by thinking by having those things um it's gonna make them great and make them the best but at the end of the day and this is something that you really show as well like being on the basketball court and things that i've really seen from you um evolving and adapting and being a captain and going through a very like untraditional style uh you know basketball seasons uh, all four years um yeah. is that the truth is is that the best leaders are the ones that can develop those connections and those relationships with the humans that you get to impact every day and you get to talk to every day. Like, how cool is that? In my opinion, like, I have the best job in the world. Like, and I'm biased for sure. Like, I have the best opportunity and I hate saying job and I know I just said it because if you truly love what you do, like there's never going to, it's never going to be a job. It's not, it's going to be something that you love doing. So I, I just love being able to impact like hundreds of lives every year to become their best selves and what's so sad like you were mentioning earlier is that some people really just don't even know who their best self is because they're too afraid to become aware of some of the things that they don't like about themselves right now like when you look in the mirror and you're like man like i really don't like this part about myself like it feels really uncomfy like you get that knot in your stomach and it's like not exciting and yeah. it's like no okay cool i need to change all of that stuff like you're really afraid of that um it's gonna be hard that you know i'm like i don't know if I can even do this it's really uncomfortable but again like full circle of what I was saying earlier like it really that's what's separating you from blooming where you were planted so like if you're really scared of something this is how I view scarcity I know I'm going on a tangent but that just means that you value something so high and so much to let it like create this myth inside of your brain that you can't conquer it but instead, like, let scarcity drive value in a positive way where you're like, hey, I don't care what it takes, who it's going to turn me into, uh, because I know in my heart, this is where I need to be and what I need to do to be great. And that's what God is telling me to do. And if at the end of the day, you're too afraid to be great, then you're never going to experience life how you deserve to. Like, you're not. And all things happen for a greater good. As we know, like in the Bible, it tells us that like all things, highs and lows, like fall in love with everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to make sure that the most impactful person in your life, like who is that? Like for me, like that's God, like that's the Lord. And that's the only person I'm looking for approval from. And I really don't even need to do that, obviously, as we know. So, um, and I'm the biggest sinner in the world. And, and I'm gonna say, I'm sure you say the same thing about you. And so I feel a lot, feel like, like we do, and that's okay. <laughs> like, cause you know, as we know, with like God's grace, nothing is permanent other than his love for us. So at the end of the day, like, I just want to make sure 
that I'm like being remembered and I remind myself as someone who earned everything like through grace and love and continuing to prepare for the purpose that, you know, I ultimately was prepared for. Um, and I know that's like a really open question of what you asked me, but that's like some of the things that I thought about when you said that. No, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really good and was directly applicable to your situation now was when you touched on how being a captain and being a leader and person of influence and how you're able to impact those around you effectively. When I first became a captain, I thought I was going to set out and have this hard style and it was going to be my way of the highway and my guys would adapt to it or they would fall off. But either way, I thought it was the route to take in order to get us to our goals right. as a team and for my goals as an individual. But the more I interacted with the guys that I had been grinding with for years, the people that I cared about, the more I realized you have to cater who you talk to in a certain way in order to be effective in your communication. Because there were some guys that I could get on without regard of my tone or how I said it or how harsh it may have felt. And I knew they would get the message. I knew it would be effective and we would all be better for it. But there was also some guys where I did that initially and they didn't respond well at first. And so I had to realize mm -hmm. you have to be able to know who you can push and who needs a little bit more encouragement. My brother said it really well. He said, you have to know who you can push and who you have to know who you have to guide and pull in order so everyone gets to the common goal and common destination. So that's something that's directly applicable. I'm sure you knew as an athlete in track and also in your position of dealing with so many people and mm -hmm. you're learning and I'm learning that success is so much more than a quantitative thing in terms of money and material things. It's increasingly I've found about the people that you can take along with you and the relationships that you can build. And that's something that I wish I would have realized a little bit earlier in terms of who I was influencing and who I had impact on. And I wish I would have been able to maintain and cultivate those relationships a little bit more instead of kind of pushing them to the side a little bit in order to try and gain a little bit more in terms of tangible goals that were for myself. But no, it's a really good point. I know it was a somewhat of an open-ended question that I asked you, but there's a lot of good stuff yeah. in the answer that you gave. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. I think that's one when you uh, talk about you being a captain and influencing people and stuff, I feel um, just observing and whatnot. And obviously, you know, what I've heard from others on the basketball team is just like, very great you're very great at like painting the vision you know what i mean like getting people to commit to the purpose that you're going after right because that's what you have to have um creating the systems people feel bought in right because the system's not going to work if they don't trust you and they don't want to do anything with you like it's just not going to happen and right. so they're not going to buy in there and that's one of the things when you're asking me about recruiting earlier it all comes down to the culture, like culture comes back to people like in having that vision. So when you say that, um, like that's something that I really saw from you and I was inspired by a lot is that you really know how to like paint that vision and see the bigger picture and like motivating people and like knowing, like you said, like some people would communicate with you well, some people wouldn't, 
but you are also like really great at being able to connect with different types of personalities and things like that with what people were saying and being able to communicate in a lot of different ways because obviously as you would tell me like so many people had so many different scenarios um, yeah. going on behind the scenes outside of basketball and even on the basketball court um, that were just really difficult to navigate. But mm -hmm. in my opinion, like I think you did a really, really great job on navigating all of that and being able to, you know, come out with a greater good. And I think I definitely know a lot of people learned a lot from you. So I appreciate you like teaching me a lot of those things as well. Um, Cause that was really awesome. I appreciated that. Well, I, I appreciate your kind words. Um, it's always good to, it's, it's something that I kind of, you have in the back of your mind that you hope kind of people, that was how you impacted people, but it's always great to be able to actually hear that from someone you actually care and trust about and respect their opinion on. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so continuing to talk about kind of success in this arena, uh, I think it's safe to say that everyone wants to be successful in their life to varying degrees. And it's obviously great ambition to have that, but it's sometimes hard to define what success looks like at different stages in our lives. Uh, there were obvious benchmarks yeah. for success in your first act with sports as well as mine. Like there's stuff that you didn't even have to say and you knew that'd be successful. Um, but what does success look like for you in this kind of new arena of a professional career and this part of your life in general? Yeah. Um, defining success for me, man, it's a various things I feel like. Um, so obviously since we're in sales, there's, you know, a lot of competition, a lot of records, like all of that stuff, you know, performance based things. But like I said, our company is really, really great on just focusing on the efforts and the actions. Like we're, we care about results obviously, but like we don't care about them because we care about, um, humans and people first. The really cool thing, side note, um, about the company is that last year, you know, during the pandemic in 2020, um, in March, uh, we were considered non-essential business and our factory is located in New York where American made all that fun stuff. And, um, New York, obviously massive hotspot for COVID. So we actually had to shut our factory down for eight weeks and send all of our factory workers home. And instead of laying all of them off, like pretty much every other company did, we continued to pay them every single week, weekly, and we didn't lay off a single person. As soon as we opened back up, they just came in and started working, but they didn't lose paycheck. They didn't lose anything. So it's really cool because the business makes, uh, uh, people decisions that affect the business, not business decisions that affect the people. So Ooh. what I learned from that is like, um, serving hearts and not talent, you know, chasing passion with my team, loving what I do and who it's with, with pure vulnerability all the time. And that's something that was difficult for me, um, is always be always being transparent and living every moment to be present in whatever I'm doing, like through grace, because I can tell you right now, I could have the best team like in the whole world and the history of Cutco and hate them and I'll be miserable and my business will go down. Like it's not going to thrive. Right. So I have to enjoy the people that I'm with. So that's one thing with success. Like if you're a circle of influencer, whoever you're talking to every day or whoever you're working with every day, like in the end, like, is it making you feel successful or making you feel good? Then like, why are you even surrounded with those people? So, um, another thing that I mentioned, like with vulnerability and, and being transparent, that's something that was really, really difficult for me. Um, because throughout my life, like I lost a lot. Lot, you know, with my brother and my injuries and, um, you know, growing up and my parents not being together and all of that stuff. And I used to think that vulnerability really equaled violation. But, and if you ask a lot of people when they first met me, like back in the day in like high school, college, um, they typically were pretty scared, like intimidated of me, like afraid to say things to me, like a hundred percent. I get that all the time. A lot of my best friends now are like, man, I was really afraid to talk to you like years ago. And I'm like, 
that really sucks because I don't mean to be that way. And that's right. just because I was a vulnerable person, you know, and I wasn't transparent and I didn't like people knowing things about me because I was scared. And, uh, but in reality, vulnerability equals acceptance um, for myself and it, it motivates others to be comfortable around me as well. And in terms, I think that's a lot of success too, is just being transparent and owning who I am and being authentic with my people. And um, I, like I said, I've lost a lot, but in those moments where I feel like I've lost so much and things are being taken from me and I, I don't really understand why, um, not long after do after the, some of those moments, do I have some of the best times of my life and I win a lot too. And you know, it's how anybody in your life is going to trust you. It's how people are going to listen to you. It's how people are going to stay with you and like want to build with you like in your life. And to me, that's really success because at the end of the day on my tombstone, all my accolades aren't going to be on there, right? Like, it, it, right. they're not. Like, they're not going to be there. Like, when I die, when I'm in the grave, like, no one's going to care about any of that stuff, right? So why should it matter now? And so to me, success is like the relationships I'm building. Um, and we as humans have the opportunity literally every single day, and a lot of people do not take advantage of this, and they definitely should, um, to take what we have, not worry about what we don't have, because real in reality, we have a lot. We have so, so much. Um, yeah. And not worry about what we don't have and just make every day as great as we can. Um, and no one's better than anybody else, in my opinion. And I'm just focused on, you know, taking the stairs uh, to be successful, um, not the elevator, because, you know, there is no elevator to greatness at the end of the day. And just making um, excellence a habit every single day, like that's what it means to be successful. And, you know, keying in with earlier, I won't repeat much of myself, but, you know, just being your best and waking up and um, everything being earned. And so, that's what I really view success like to me as I don't want anything handed to me. Nothing's ever going to be handed to me, right? The only person that can impact my life and change how it's going is going to be me. So why would I not continue to live like that and just grind and keep doing it? And at the end of the day, it doesn't really feel like a grind because I love everything that I do on a business standpoint. Um, so that's kind of how I would define success is just like the relationships and like how I'm being with people and being authentic and, um, you know, being able to influence the younger group that I'm with or my friends or even my parents sometimes. Um, that's, that's probably how I would define success. And the fact that you're able to know and define kind of what success looks like for you. And so you can actually take steps to achieve it on a daily basis is huge. I mean, cause that's yeah. success. Isn't like you said, it's not the result. It's how you develop yourself and the steps you take every single day, because that's where life is. It's in the present. You can't be mm -hmm. successful and not live it. So that's having action behind that and knowing how to actually get there is huge. Yeah. So kind of going to transition to uh, the outro a little bit, but thank you so much for your time. Mm -hmm. um, it's been, it's been a long, great conversation so far. Still got a little bit to go though. Uh, so in your senior year, as you came toward the end of your career as a student athlete, what is something that you wish you would have known going into that period after? Man, um, nothing is going to go how you plan ever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I walked <laughs> into one track, and uh, I was like, I was just expecting to do practices that I was, like, doing in high school. You know what I mean? And so um, it was very different. And at one point, like, there were a couple years where I was – 
overtraining and running like 30 to 40 miles a week. And I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Like, I've never even done a workout on the track that's longer than doing 200 repeats in high school. Here I am doing 800 repeats and I'm like, or running five miles a day. I'm like, what is this? And so I wish that's something that I knew is that, um, I was just so comfortable that everything was going to be the same and it wasn't going to be like at all. And, uh, there were weights involved. I think I lifted weights maybe like two or not even three years in high school. Um, one, because of like rehabbing a ton and two, because like in, in my high school specifically, they don't teach you that stuff. They don't teach right. you technique. They don't teach you form, anything like that. And that's right. something that you learn when you get like into college and you have people that teach you those things. And so I would say one of the things that I wish I would have known is to and frame my mind instead of framing my mind to be like this is how i think everything's gonna go and expect just like throw all of that out of the window and just be like i have no idea what's gonna happen um whatsoever and i know i'm gonna be uncomfortable doing it and so like the comments saying like be un or be comfortable being uncomfortable like i wish yep. i really would have like had that mindset going into it because i thought you know since i knew cash dollar really well we went to the same high school all of this stuff like it wasn't really going to be that bad or they'd send us packets like freshman year the summer before we got on campus to condition and stuff like did i do some of them yes i do all of them no should i have been more serious probably because when we got on campus like instantly day one 200 repeats like 12 of them i'm like there's no freaking chance hill repeats like we'd go out and run hills on the golf course and i'm like this is crazy like i never expected <laughs> it and so i really wish that um to answer your question i really wish i would have spent less time predicting what was going to happen because you can't predict what's going to happen in the future like uncertainty is everywhere um but i was trying to control aspects instead of just like influence them and frame my mind to really just be okay with that hey this is going to feel weird it's going to be uncomfortable well like let's embrace that accept it because you know what i'm not the only freshman on the team like there's more people just like me and they're going through the same stuff too um and i don't even know them yet so right. i think that was one thing that i really wish i would have spent more time was just my mindset and obviously when you're 18 you don't think about stuff like that like ever um but i wish that was one of the things that i knew before going in and running track at manchester and you know just being a student athlete there that i thought i had it all figured out when i definitely wasn't and even even if I tried, I still wasn't going to be able to. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, I took away and I would definitely tell somebody else is just like, it's going to be weird. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. Um, but just get your mindset like ready for that. Yeah. No, without a doubt. When we were 18 years old, we thought we knew everything there was to know about the world and we were right about yep. everything. And then as soon as you get away from home and realize that you don't, then it can be kind of scary. But if you take the right, right approach and the right mindset like you said you realize there's a yeah. lot you can learn and you should learn and continue to develop and i i tell people kind of as we get older uh your 20s are a very exciting time because there's so much that you can do and build for yourself in terms of a life that you want to live and going into the future but it's also kind of terrifying because there is a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainties. Mm -hmm. So I think, like you said, the approach of knowing that there's going to be a lot of things you can't control is good to help develop a mindset of adaptability so you can put yourself in the best position to succeed. So yeah. what's one thing that you would tell someone who is trying to cope with the end of their first act or is that in, or that is in the period of unknowing what their next act is? Yeah. 
I would uh, say um, always remember. So I'm going to be very, I'm speak very lightly when I say this next thing um, is always remember tomorrow. I know we're never guaranteed tomorrow or anything like that, but always remember tomorrow. Like the sun's going to set, the sun's going to rise the next day, whatever happens, like it's okay, but tomorrow's going to be a new day. So it gives you the opportunity to have a fresh mindset, you know, think about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And we have the opportunity to change our habits literally like just like that. As soon as you turn your mindset to something, mm-hmm. like we can change the habits, we can get into it and keep going. I think now it takes like anywhere from uh, 30 to 60 days to form a habit like consistently all the time. Um, and always add, I read this in a book and it was really awesome because I was like, man, this really hit me, um, is adding the dot, dot, dot. Like the ellipses, you know what I'm talking about? I haven't heard okay. that word since probably like English class freshman year of <laughs> high school, okay? Um, adding the dot, dot, dot and just keep going like eventually your purpose regardless if you're religious or not um is going to find you okay and so never play the short game like i mentioned earlier like most things that happen now aren't gonna matter in the coming years like when when shit hits the fan like all that stuff negative things like all that's not gonna happen now uh, or matter a ton now when it happens um and there's so much time ahead like when I was in college, I literally, I think I wrote on my freshman year when we wrote letters to ourselves to like get our graduate, like get a graduation like four years later. I think I really wrote that I wanted to be engaged by then, not engaged wow. at all, not even close right now. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, I wrote, I wrote this about myself, uh, like planning my wedding, like doing this stuff. Oh and gosh. it's just like, you really, there's so much time ahead. And now it's like, I think back and I'm like, man, if I would have been engaged as a 22 year old, like I probably, I would have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I couldn't even imagine being like, you know, engaged right now. It's crazy because there's so much time ahead and the uncertainty, like we were talking about is terrifying. Like it's so scary. I will, I'll own up to that, but make it adventurous, you know, take the risks, find the things that you truly want to do and value and what brings you happiness. Cause at the end of the day, like if you hate what you're doing, um, it, it's not worth it. And I always tell my people that all the time, like if you're not having fun and you don't love what you do, then truly it's like not worth your own happiness and your sanity. It's not. So find something that, um, serves you and that you feel great about like diving into back and like pouring into back, you know? Um, so I think that's one of the things that I would say for somebody who's, you know, trying to find their purpose or find out what the next thing is for them is that eventually it's going to come. Um, when that comes, in my opinion, it's going to be God's timing and his plan. He's never going to send you on a path that you're not supposed to go down and that's not going to be good for you. Um, so that's, that's what I would say about that. No, that's awesome. Time definitely does mm-hmm. not stop for anybody. Sun's going to come no. up in the morning. It's going to set at night. It is. And you just got to work while you wait until you find your yeah. next act. Uh, like you said, it's not going to come always right when you want it to. Uh, there's a lot of mm-hmm. things that you can't discover until you go out and experience some things and find out what you don't know. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. some really good advice for sure. Uh, speaking of advice. Yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received? And what's also the worst advice you've been given? Okay. Uh, Could be about anything. I would say, oh man, the best, uh, we'll start with the worst advice. So the worst advice that I've ever received, and I learned so much in Cutco and Vector, and this is very, um, this is very like, 
obviously uh, specific because I'm in business and all that stuff. But obviously, if you're in like nursing and you're teaching and whatever, like obviously you need an education. But like everyone being told to be ever like to be what they want to be, like everyone, no matter what major you're in or what you want to do in life, is that you need a college degree to get you where you want to go. Like I think that's 100% false for sure. It is um, mm-hmm. unless, like I said, you're in the medical field or your education or all that kind of stuff. But like if you're in business, like if you want to go into sales, accounting, obviously you need to be in school for that. But like business, if you're going into sales, if you want to start a business, if you uh, just want to get into leadership, if you want to get into coaching, all of that stuff, everything that I've learned into being a manager and who I am and leading people and recruiting people and selling over like millions of, of dollars of Cutco is, um, I did not need college to get to where I was. Most of the things that I learned was getting that hands-on experience of where I'm at now, like getting your foot in the door and actually experiencing it first on, like firsthand, like you got to be able to do that. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people, you know, when they graduate, they spend so much time on school. And I'm not saying school is bad. Would I go back and not go to Manchester um, because of what I know I'm doing now? Um, For the friendships, I would 100% go back. For the schooling, no, I wouldn't waste my time and money to do that. And the reason why is because I don't need a degree to get to where I am right now at all because my job is just being a great human and leading other people to be a good human listening to podcasts reading books being on leadership calls you know all of that I don't need to go to school to be able to do it so um I think one of the craziest things is we were just talking about this the other day is that the biggest loans that people receive that is the that are the easiest to get are like tens and twenties of thousands of dollars in student loans like they have no problem doing that they're basically telling you it's okay to take out a fifty thousand dollar loan that you can pay back later to go to school and you have no idea if it's going to serve you or not obviously excluding like the other majors and stuff where you actually need that and so i think that's one of the worst advice that i've ever received just for me personally um because like i said i wouldn't need to be in school my boss right now who's almost at 30 million dollars in sales literally was a college dropout his freshman year um And to get to where he is, he's influenced more people than a lot of people who go to school and get those business management degrees or what they're doing or engineering and all that stuff. So um, that's what I would say is the worst advice, but it's very subjective, obviously. Um, The best advice that I've received is to... run like running into fear and then just like blowing it up like completely like we as humans i don't know if you know this um are born with two fears growing up and that is falling and loud noises those are the only two fears that we are born with obviously it makes sense right so everything else is instilled into us from external sources people, things we see on social media, um, you know, things we read, things we hear, um, or from previous experiences that, you know, make you put up those walls. So I would just say, like, run into it, like, be fearless about being embarrassed, like, who cares? Like, if you know you want to do it, like, if you're driven about it, you care about it, you're passionate about it, you're probably going to be an expert in whatever you're doing if you care about it that much and you love what you're doing. So who cares what anybody else has to say? Who cares if it's going to be risky? Who cares if it scares you? Because most of the time, what's on the other side of being scared is like the best thing ever. Like that's where the green grass is growing, like on the other side of scarcity. So Mm -hmm. that's probably what I would say um is my best advice and then like i said my worst advice is is very subjective but honestly that is like the worst advice i think i've ever received because i would definitely go back and change that if i could no yeah i mean that's that's why i ask you (laughs) it's what you've had in your experiences uh without a doubt so as we kind of come to the end i want to take a second to acknowledge and recognize you one for all the obstacles and adversity that you've overcome in your life and all the accomplishments you've been able to achieve, but also for the relationship that you've been able to maintain and put effort in 
with myself. Um, it's something that I absolutely appreciate uh, since we met six years ago. Um, and I'm just very excited to see how we continue to grow and get better and create the lives that uh, we're both going after. So I just wanted to take a second to recognize you for that. Uh, Thanks. Was there any uh, social media that you wanted to plug or any causes that you're associated with that you want people to know about and go support? Um, I would say social media. Like I said, I'm not huge on social media, but uh, it's just my first and last name, you know, Jade Blett on Instagram. Um, my Snapchat score is like 70,000 and I've had it for like <laughs> 10 years. So definitely don't add me on Snapchat because I won't snap you back. Um, you know that, like I hate Snapchat. Um, Fact. and on Twitter, that's just a news source. So you can definitely do that. Follow me on LinkedIn if you want. Connect. That's a thing that we got to talk about now that we're getting, you know, middle-aged and, and professional stuff. Um, stuff. other than that, you know, Go Dirty Birds, go Cards, go Bravos, <laughs> Braves. Okay, Bravos, come on. that's all I have to say. Had to give some love. Um, Absolutely. Can't wait to see you on Sunday. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. I it's can't gonna wait. It's going to be awesome, without a doubt. It is so, be so much fun. The last two questions I've got for you. First, okay. what does a life well-lived mean to you? Yeah, a life well lived. Like, what does that mean to me? That's an awesome, awesome question. Um, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's just, um, you know, doing my best, everything that I can. You know, my purpose in life here is that I, I typically, I definitely want to be able um, to lead as many people as I can, you know. Um, like how, like I said earlier, uh, having the blessing, you know, to be able to lead and impact so many people right now, you know, take them from where they are and being that vehicle to get them to where they want to be. Like it's priceless. It's so freaking cool to see people who are flipping burgers at Culver's. I have a, I have a rep right now. One of my sales managers, her name's Michaela. She, um, her, when she got started with us, her first two weeks on the job, she was also selling knives for us. We do everything virtually. So she was just doing Zoom meetings conveniently from home. And um, she was also working at Culver's like full time. And so she actually, I remember this specifically. I love my people. And um, it was on my birthday. She calls me. She's like, hey, Jane, I'm putting in my two weeks. And I was like, no way. Here or at Culver's? I was like scared. <laughs> and she's like, I'm, doing, I'm putting in at Culver's. I'm like, oh, like this is awesome. Like I was fist bumping. I was definitely, um, you know, a little intoxicated. So I, I was so excited. I was with Cam and I'm like, dude, Michaela just put her in two weeks. It's so great. Um, and, you know, seeing her going from that to where she is now, um, she literally just hit her $100,000 straight sales promotion. She's never ran an office. That's just selling one-on-one -on -one with customers. Um, and wow. she's been with us for 10 or 11 months. She just turned 20. Um, so she's not very old and she's probably, you know, profited over $40,000, um, in, in commission and income and bonuses. And that's not including bonuses. And she's won, you know, a few trips and stuff like that. And so to be able to see, for example, like that progression and, and being those people and being that person that I can get her to where she wants to be, like, there's truly no better reward than that. And that's why I really firmly believe that, you know, I'm here to do is to help and guide the next generation of doctors, engineers, teachers, entrepreneurs, to be able to look at themselves like in the mirror 20 years from now and always know that I'm going to be in their front row supporting them no matter what in any way that they need. Um, and so that's what I would say is like a, a life well lived. And also 
being a mom, like being a mom is like my number one goal, 100%. People don't think that's like much like me because they think I'm pretty hard surfaced um, when they get to know me at first. But that, that I would say that is also um, another life well lived is I cannot wait to be a mom and have a family and all of that stuff. Like it's at the top of my dreams list for sure. Oh, absolutely. No, that was two yeah. very noble things and something that I agree with mm -hmm. in terms of that would fit into that definition of a life well lived. I love that. Right. All right, last question. How do you want to be remembered by those that you know and love, but also those you, you've interacted with? Yeah, um, man, I uh, want to be, um, your question was want to be like known and loved by people that I've interacted with just to confirm, right? Yeah, how do you just how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? Yeah, remembered, right? Okay, yeah. So, um, like I said, you know, being front row for all my people, if they ever need me, they can call me. Like, I'm gonna be able to answer. Like, obviously, I'm I'm very strict on my personal time and my, and my business time for sure. But like, if one of my reps is calling me at two a.m. in the morning, or one of my friends is calling me at two a.m. in the morning, um, and I'm not big on being on my phone like after like nine p.m. unless it's people in my inner circle like you and, and Cam and and Greg and Jess and, and Maria and those people, but mm -hmm. um, it's like and my mom obviously I was. Yeah answer her calls because she double taps me and when she doubles taps me rule number two in zombie land always double tap but i know it's always <laughs> when she double taps me uh but um is just always being there for them like i don't want anybody to ever question that i can't be a sounding board for somebody or that i um didn't show up for them or uh, when they needed me the most because you know a lot of those times when people need others it's those times where they're not telling you that they need people so just being able to um say you know um, that I could give back to these people that have given me and poured into me so much. Um, that's the, the awesome part about it. And um, I know we talked about a little bit this before, but, uh, you know, starting a nonprofit and all of that stuff. And um, that's one of my visions that I've had for years and finally getting the wheels like I'm finally building a nonprofit and beginning to turn and I can't wait. And um, another thing that's on my dreams list that I started working on that I, I don't think I've told you yet is that I feel like I have so much to give back to the world with my experience and how I want to be remembered and stuff. So I'm currently in the process of writing a book. I've got some chapters down. I'm super excited. I can't wait. It's going to be so awesome. My goal is to That's have awesome. it uh, published and done. Yeah, and done uh, by, you know, spring of next year. I can't wait. Um, so that's going to be really exciting for me. So that's going to be great. So how I want to be remembered is just being able to impact and grow into the leader that everyone, but specifically females, look at and be like, damn, like that's the type of leader I want to be someday. And even males being able to look at me, but specifically females with where we're at. And I just want to be just like her and go after everything I want. And now what's so cool, that wasn't a thing when we were in college and high school is that there's so many ways and resources to be able to do so now. And that's mm -hmm. what's awesome. And I just want to make sure that I'm remembered as someone who's a gateway um, to be able to do that and give them the bridge to fill that gap to get them to whatever they want to do and get their purpose out of who they are and who they need me to be for them. Um, because ultimately, I just love serving others and I want to keep doing so. So um, just being a servant leader is what I would say is something I want to be remembered by for sure. That is absolutely amazing. I did not know you were going to be writing a book. So we'll have to have you back on in I the spring as Cam, dude, Cam doesn't even know that either. Okay. That tells you like how like secretive it, like not a lot of people know that. So this is, this is exciting. I feel very privileged and honored to be privy of this secret top confidential information. We'll have to have you back on in the spring after you get that release. So we can promote that as well as the nonprofit that you got going on. But ladies and gentlemen, shout out.
that is the first episode of the next act and this is the lovely and impressive jade bullet thank you so much for tuning in and listening this far if you are and we will see you in the next episode <laughs>